We're in the sixth chapter of the book of, of Revelation. Um, and a pattern that I have for studying it, as, as I've probably said this to you before, is I'll go home and if, if today is a, a normal day, I can go home and study right afterwards. You know, I, I can start studying for uh, chapter 7 um, right away because it feels fresh to me and I like doing that. And I feel real nervous if I don't get the message done by about Friday. If I'm not done uh, Thursday night and, and Friday early, I feel real nervous about the message because I, I should have had enough time studying that, that I have it done. And, and that's kind of my pattern. And then <clears throat> when I wake up Friday morning, I'll, I'll kind of just massage the message. In other words, I'll try to make it so it feels comfortable to me, so it feels like these are my words as I'm saying to you what uh, was important. And, and then I leave it alone and I don't, I don't even look at it until Saturday morning. When I get up Saturday morning, usually very early, I'll, I'll go back to the message and I'll start then really tinkering with it. Kind of, uh, I love computers because you can cut and paste and all that other stuff and I, I can do that. And, but this particular Saturday morning, the reason I'm telling you all of this is that my wife came in and she said, did you see... Um, the uh, sermon-based study for this week, um, written by, by David Briggs. And I said, no, I, I did not. And she said, I think it would merit you looking at it and, and, and seeing what you think. And, and he just nailed it. I wished I could have written what he wrote. It's so brilliant. Um, we have so many good teachers here. Um, um, Bruce Cook and... and <laughs> I shouldn't have started any names because there's so many that do such a fabulous job of leading our study groups and, and teaching. But Do Dave Briggs is really quite a, is amazing to me. He does so many things so well and he's such a um, tireless worker for the Lord here at this church. He's always serving, doing something. And so um, she sent me this uh, through email. Uh, she sent me what he wrote and I want to read it to you kind of verbatim so that you can just see. This is where we're going today. And this song that, that, that Anthony just sang, the group just sang to us, loving you from the inside out, is the very essence of what I think ought to be in our hearts. As we go into this particular chapter, this is really a terrible, terrible, terrible place as far as the earth is concerned. It's going to be a, a, a really dramatically difficult time for those who are on the earth. Um, it, it, really, it really rings hopefully loud and clear for those of us that know the Lord right now. And, and I believe we will be raptured before the tribulation hits. Now I don't know that for certain. I just believe that. But it seems to me that scripture teaches that. But there are other really brilliant people who, who don't believe that. So I'm not going to, I'm writing it all in pencil. But nonetheless, I believe that we will be with the Lord in heaven. And uh, I think it's really imperative that we tell as many people as we can about our Savior. And, and that we come to know Him now before it's too... Before it's... it's well, there will be people that will come to know the Lord. We'll see that in the fifth seal when we open up this book in chapter 6 of, of the book of Revelation. And, and we will see that there will be martyrs, people who will come to Christ during the Great Tribulation, but it will not be easy on them. But at least, hopefully, they will have heard from us that they are about to come to Christ, and they will make that decision during that difficult time where they will be martyred for their faith. 
David Briggs writes, With each broken seal, God gives mankind over to his, his, his or her fallen nature. He writes, The world wants a leader, but not the king of kings, so they end up with the Antichrist. The world wants peace, but not the prince of peace, so they reap war and global slaughter. The world wants to satisfy its appetite with anything but the bread of life, and so they receive worldwide famine. The world wants to live, but rejects the life, so death and Hades comes calling. The world wants to know the way to heaven, but not the way. So they hide in caves and would rather die than face the wrath of the Lamb. That was brilliantly written because I just told you what I'm going to tell you about this message, about what the six seals explain. <clears throat> and I think what you need to know going into this more than anything else is there needs to be a, a lifestyle from us as believers that goes into the community and to the, the places where we go and represent and shows them that there is a Savior and they can know Him. And our lifestyle needs to be a part that, that, that demonstrates that. We need to be light and we need to be salt. And it doesn't call for us to be ho-hum Christians. It really calls for us to really stand up for what we believe. Now, I really love you people more than life itself. I, I do. I do with all my heart. I believe that you at this church really know what you come here for. You, you don't come here to, 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 um, to get a, a message that's going to make you walk away from here and say, whoa, wow, how great am I? Uh, the Bible doesn't give us that. The Bible really has been written to convict us of our sin and to tell us how wretched we are and how much we need a Savior. And so we do this. We, we preach the Word of God. And, and you people have been so faithful. I absolutely adore you. More than life itself. More than life itself. I wish I could really explain how much I, I care for you. And I, I do. I do. And so I want to thank you ahead of time for just letting me be a a part of, of what God is doing at this church. But I also want to challenge you and me to become um, really mindful that we have a ministry here, whether you know it or not. And that ministry that you and I have is to represent our Lord. And this is the reason why. I explained to you before, going into the book of Revelation is not going to be a smooth, wonderful ride. It's a bumpy ride. Because it tells of things that are going to take place that are just treacherous. It's terrible what's going to take place. And this is only the beginning. It, it gets worse. Read with me, please. In Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 17. I know we covered uh, uh, the first rider, the one on the white horse, last week, but I want to read through it again uh, this week to kind of uh, set the tone again for you so you see what is being said as John has this privilege of seeing heaven open up and, and see these seals, these 
these four riders ride onto the earth. John says in verse 1, I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, come. By the way, I, I will just add this right now, excuse me. Uh, but in, I think in the New King James it says go. It, it's both, either or. I, I don't know which is correct because in the commentaries they, they have both of them going. It's either that either the command was for John to come and listen or it was for the rider to come and listen and then to go. I'm not sure. I don't think it's relevant. But I just wanted to say that because I know in some of your translations you will have go instead of come. So let me start again, please. And that's this last. I'm going to interrupt this, the reading of this. I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, I heard one of the four living creatures saying as with a voice of thunder, come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. And when he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come. And another red horse, and another, a red horse, went out to him who sat on it. It was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men should slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. And when he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard as it were a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. And when he broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come, and I looked, and behold, an ashen horse. And he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. And authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. And when he broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How, Lord, how long, O Lord, holy and true, Will you refrain from judging and avenging on our, our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe. And they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been killed should be completed also. Then in verse 12, John says, I looked and when he broke the sixth seal... There was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloths, made of hair. The whole moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripened figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll, and when, and when it was rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the commanders, and the rich and the strong, and every slave and free man, 
hid themselves in the caves and, and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Well, the answer is no one. No one can stand apart from Jesus Christ. And that's the message we give week in, week out. That's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who is able to stand? The answer is nobody apart from Christ. And so your faith, my faith, our faith in Christ is, is critical. But we haven't been called to this earth just to be saved we're a part of God's family. We've been called to this earth to go and tell people about the wonders of our Lord so that they might, they might, if this is the generation that He comes back, they might be saved from that. That they won't have to be martyred to, to come to Christ and lose their lives and, and then present themselves to heaven and ask, how long, O oh Lord, will, faithful and true, will you, will you wait to to pour out your vengeance on those who harmed us. And he says, well, I'm going to wait until others like you will be killed and will be able to come to heaven. And so we, we have the greatest of all privileges, and that's to know ahead of time what is the game plan. Do you remember when the disciples asked our Lord, what is going to be the, what is going to be the sign of your coming? What, what will be the sign of the end of this age? And he tells us, and now we know. We, we, we get a glimpse at least. We don't know the exact time, day, hour. We don't know that. But we do know what the signs are, and, and we can look around and see if these are not the signs of the, the last days. Well, they're making a real good attempt at looking like it. I mean, we're living in a time right now that is, is falling apart. And so we need to be Christians who stand on our own two feet and really love the Lord and love others. And so I, I want you to hear that today because this is not an easy message to give. Pray. Let's pray first. Please, Father, bless us. Uh, Father, I, I, as, as ever before, I ask, please move me aside just... Let not this cold that I have be a hindrance to what I have to say. Let it please not get in the, the way of what you want to say to each of us. Please, Father, let this not happen. So take me and move me aside, I beg of you. Allow us to hear from your heart to our own hearts so that we can individually hear from you and know what it is that you want from us. What, what are we expected to do in this terrible, terrible day that is coming upon this earth? So I pray your blessings upon everyone here. It sounds to me like others, others has this cold, and so I pray you'll watch over them and care for them, and, and that, Lord, you just will bless us and, and that we will be a blessing to you. And we want to thank you ahead of time for, for teaching us now. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, what a sight John is seeing. I mean, you know, like we said before, Words can't explain what he is seeing, really. And not, I mean, he's never seen anything like this before. So he's trying with all of his heart to, to tell us what it's going to look like. But he is trying to explain to us what the wrath of an almighty and patient God finally looks like when it's set into motion. Now, some had thought that maybe there was the first rider, rider who came in on a white horse was Jesus Christ. No, that's not true. He is not Jesus Christ, as we tried to explain last week. 
in chapter 19 of the book of Revelation, you don't need to turn there, it says that when he comes, he will come, and, and his robe will be a robe that is dipped in blood, and, and, and on, his, on his robe and his thigh will, will read the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We'll know him when he comes. He explains that in a moment. But, but between him and this writer in verse 2 of chapter 6 of the book of Revelation, they're quite different. To make a comparison, we really need to, to hold our place here in Revelation chapter 6 and turn back to Matthew chapter 24. Would you please? Matthew chapter 24. You recall last week, I hope, in chapter 24, <clears throat> when Jesus said the, about the temple not standing, there won't be a stone left. And then in verse 3, it's, the disciples were sitting with him on the Mount of Olives, and they asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? And Jesus said to them, in verses 4 and 5, See to it, he says, that no one misleads you. Many are going to come in my name, he said. They're going to say, I am the Christ, and they will mislead many. And we explained last week that there will be many that say there are many ways to God. That's not tr true. There are not many ways to God. The scriptures do not allow us to teach that. It's a wonderful thought, but it doesn't hold, it doesn't hold any weight when you, when, you, when you compare it to the Bible. Jesus says clearly, no, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and you cannot come to the Father except through him. Now, so our Lord warns even, I think, more deeply in Matthew chapter 24, verses 23 through 27. Read them with me. If anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, don't believe them. He says in verse 24, false Christs and false prophets are going to arise. They're going to show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. In other words, I want you to hold that thought, verse 24 of Matthew 24. There, there will be many that will come that will show signs and wonders. Don't be don't be taken by them, he says. Behold, it says in verse 25, I've told you in advance. So if they say to you, behold, he's in the wilderness, don't go out there. Or if they say to you, behold, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe him. Look, here's how you're going to know he is there. He is our Lord. Verse 27, for just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes towards the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. You and I won't be fooled. We'll see him very clearly. No, no, this first rider, hold your place in, in Matthew 24. We will come back, I promise. But let's turn back to chapter 6 of Revelation. This first rider in verse 2 is not Christ. He is of the false Christ. He will come, as it states in, in chapter 6, verse 2, at the end of the verse, to conquer and conquering and to conquer. He will be a person who brings about a false peace through cunning and through deception. And people will believe his lies. And the reason they believe his lies is because what we just read out of Matthew 24, 24. They will show, he will show great signs and great wonders and great powers. And he will convince people that he's the one that will bring peace. I will say to you again, and maybe more times, but... Again, I want to say today, there will never be peace on this earth. There will what appears to be a peace on this earth. But don't be misled. Don't be fooled by peace on earth. 
When the Bible speaks of peace, it speaks of a peace individually that you and I can have with God. That peace is the only peace that the Bible speaks of. A peace that you can have with the, with the God of this, this universe, that you have eternal life with Him. That's the peace that the Bible is speaking of that you individually can have. But collectively, a peace on this earth they will only come and they will only be false moments of peace. So soon thereafter, let's move away from the first rider because we looked at him last week. The second seal is open in verses 3 and 4. And John sees a red horse this time, not the white horse, but on the red horse is the one who will take peace from the earth. The first writer seems to bring in this false sense of peace through cunning and deception. The second one is going to take this peace away. Again, back, please, to Matthew 24. I'm going to flip you back and forth a few times. Because Jesus says you will be hearing in, in verse 6 of Matthew 24. You'll be hearing of wars, and you'll be hearing of rumors of wars. See to it that you're not frightened. These things must take place, but that is not yet the end. Nation is going to rise against nation. Kingdom will rise against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. So it appears that before our Lord's return, because there are so many wars and so many cries for peace, the world will be anxious for someone, anyone, to stop the wars. And so someone comes and stops it for a while. And then the second rider comes in and, and three things happen and they are terrible. Let me tell you. Verse 4. It was granted to him to take peace from the earth. World peace ends once this rider comes upon the scene. Two. Men will slay one another. There are ruthless killings that will take place during this time. I will show you that from the word slay. And he will have great military might. He will have, it says, a great sword will be given to him. Now, let's first take a look at the word sword. That word in the Greek is M-A-C-H-A-I-R-A. -A -A. It doesn't refer to a, a long uh, sword like you'd see a sword fight. You know, you'd think someone's fighting with a sword, having this long sword. No, this this word for sword, M-A-C-H-A-I-R-A, it really refers to a small dagger. Roman soldiers carried it into battle when they had to do hand-to-hand -hand battle. They didn't need a long sword. They needed someone, something close that they could fight within. It is also a weapon that was used by murderers, assassins. They would walk into a crowd. They would have this, this dagger hidden on their body, on their cloak, and they would pull it out and stab someone without anyone knowing it. And they could walk away, and there would be a dead body there. The vision that this sword being great is not the size of the sword, but rather the intensity of the war that is about to hit this earth. This second rider takes away the peace of this world. Now, on the other hand... Jesus Christ comes to give you and me peace. But peace that is true peace, that peace that comes from the inside out that we sang a little while ago. Jesus said these words in John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My 
peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Therefore, let not your heart be troubled, nor be fearful. In other words, if you see that there is a sense that there isn't peace on earth, that's not the peace he said that I'm giving you. My peace I give to you, he says. I'm saying this, and, and, and Scripture teaches it, is that it's an individual, as we've already mentioned, it's an individual peace that you have with God on your own. And to cultivate that peace within your heart is the most precious commodity, commodity is that the right way of saying that, that you could ever have. There is nothing much, much sweeter than to be able to lay your head down on the pillow at nighttime, even though everything seems to be chaotic around you, and have that peace with God, knowing that He is in control of your life and your eternal being. That's the peace that Jesus Christ wants to bring you. Now how terrible will this false peace be when, it, when it's taken away? In verse 4, the word slay is really key. Men will slay one another. That word translates to mean slaughter. The word slaughter means that there will be a slaughtering of people, one to another. People killing people without rhyme or reason, except for their deluded desires, except for their just desire to kill someone. I wonder if when John penned these things, did, did he have any idea about drive-by shootings where people just haphazardly shoot into a home and kill whomever, or kill whoever happens to be standing around, or, or, or what we just read about recently at the start of the baseball season where someone just because they wore a different colored uniform as the other person wanted to cheer for it, that person was almost beaten to, to death. I don't know, did he die or is he still in a coma? It's just, I mean, that is the type, of, that's the, that is what is going to take place common on this earth during that time, this slaughter of people just for no particular reason. Then the third rider comes in, a black horse. And this is an amazing picture. It pictures famine and starvation because he is holding in his hand a, a scale. Look at verse 5. I looked and behold the black horse right in the middle. I'm reading now. He who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and don't damage the oil or the wine. It's really interesting what commentators believe this to mean. To buy wheat or barley cost a denarius. Well, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 2, when there is this parable our Lord is talking about, there is a, a, a laborer that, that has agreed with, with people that are going to go out and work on his land, and he agrees to give them a denarius for a day's wage. And so it is, it is considered that a denarius was equal to a day's wage for a common worker. And so we see for a day's pay, you could get either a quart of wheat or three quarts of barley. What's the difference? Well, barley was normally seen as food that was fed to animals, not human beings. And so what we see are people 
depending upon the size of their family, and if they want to feed their family for that day with their day's wages, they, don't make, they can't save anything. They put their day's wage and they get a day's amount of food, either a quart of wheat, which is better, or three quarts of barley, which is food that was normally given to animals. And that is what they are eating off of. But it is also said in there, don't harm or do damage to the oil or the wine. And the commentators believe that the oil and the wine were luxury items, items that, that was, even though the poor would have only wheat or barley to eat, the, those who had money would have better food. And, 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 and Dr. McGee writes that even during the Great Depression, there were people that that never had a taste of any kind of steak or any kind of meat. They had to just get by with what they did, but there were other people that ate steak all the time because they had the money. And so the, these items were cooked with oil and, and accompanied with a, a sip of wine during the meal. In other words, the rich will get richer and the poor will get poorer. Then comes in the fourth and last rider. He comes in on an ashen horse, a horse that is pale in color, and it is called, he is called Death, and Hades is following after him. It is believed that this rider, the fourth and the last, finishes what the first three riders began through wars, injustice, famine. Look at verse 7. When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, in verse 8, an ashen horse. And he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. And authority was given to this fourth rider over a fourth of the earth to either kill them by sword, by famine, by pestilence, or by the wild beasts of the earth. Over a fourth of the earth's population was given to him to kill by the sword or by famine or by pestilence or by wild animals. I can only imagine what this must mean. But I can only imagine the horror of it all. A fourth. One out of every... Is that right? A fourth is one out of every four, right? A fourth. I can figure that out. One out of every four people are killed by either this... This means either being slaughtered or killed by this form of, uh, of, of wrath that has fallen upon this earth. And then the fifth seal gets open. And, and here we see the, the testimony of those who have made it through the tribulation by coming to Christ, but they, they paid a terrible price. In verses 9, 10, and 11, we see martyrs who have been slain because of the Word of God and because they maintained their testimony. Read with me verse 9 again, please. Um, and I'm going to turn you to Matthew, or else you can listen to Matthew because it's only a couple of verses. So look with me at, at verse 9. It says, When he broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain and they had been slain because of the Word of God, and they had been slain because of the testimony that they maintained. In other words, it was given to them a choice. 
and they kept the Word of God, and they maintained their testimony, and they were slain because of that. They were martyrs who died during this, the tribulation period. And they came to be with the Lord in heaven. And John saw them, as it says, underneath the altar. And then it says that they cried out in verse 10 with a, with a loud voice to the Lord, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? In other words, how long are you going to let them get away with doing this? And listen to what our Lord says in verse 11, he gave each one of them a white robe, and they were told this, Rest, rest for a little while, until the number of your fellow servants and the fellow brethren who were to be killed, even as you had been killed, should be completed. In other words, there was going to be more death. There's a lot you and I can learn from this. Our Lord says this in Matthew 24, verses 21 and 22, there's going to be a great tribulation. John, he, is, he is saying this to the disciples when they asked him, what is going to be the sign? He says, there's going to be a great tribulation such as never occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor will there ever be. And then he says, unless those days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. When the Lamb breaks the fifth seal... We see these new believers, these martyrs who come out of the great tribulation period. And they want the enemies, it appears to be the four horsemen and those who believed their lies, to be dealt with. And yet Jesus tells them rest for a while and gives them white robes. In other words, they are counted amongst the saints. They are counted about us who have already, I believe, been transferred, transferred to heaven itself been raptured there, and, and we have white robes on, and they are given robes just like us, and they are told to rest. I see a couple things from verse 11, which is phenomenal. We all rest in heaven. We also have, a, I think, a time that we will be active. We understand that from the word until. Jesus says, I want you to rest until, until the completion of the others to be martyred are are done. In other words, we will see that we will have things to do in heaven. What that is, I'm not sure, but we will be active in heaven. And we also see from verse 11 that our, our Lord God is still in control. Even in the midst of all of this horror that's going on on the earth, He still is control. He says, yeah, it's going to be fine. I'm going to wait until the last one is killed before I stop all of this madness. And so what we see in verse 11 is that there are still people coming to Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. That's God's grace. But how are they going to know? Who's going to be on earth to tell them? The church, I believe, is gone. I believe that they have to know our testimony now. So that after, if this is the time, let's say... Let's say, boom, we're out of here next week and the, the rapture occurs and we're gone and there's no church next week. And, 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 and maybe some people come here and they've never really accepted Christ, but they've come because they want to hear, they want to hear, and all of a sudden we're gone. They might say to themselves, my gosh. And they will hopefully be martyred for their faith. They will keep the Word of God and they will hold to the testimony that they maintain and tell others just like we will. 
but you don't want to go through this time. We don't want to. I think it's every reason in the world that we need to be sharing with our family members, our friends, our loved ones, anyone and everyone we come in contact with so that they might have a chance to come to Christ even after the rapture, if that's the, if that's the order of things. And then we see in verses 12 through 17, the sixth and the final scene, the fi final seal, I should say, in chapter 6. The seventh seal will not be opened until the eighth chapter. The sixth seal just talks about a world universal terror, a worldwide catastrophe, and only, there's not enough, I mean, for those of us that saw what took place in Japan, you, you sit back and you watch it on television and it, and it almost seems unreal, does it not? I mean, the waves and the, the horror of that all and how all that water just overtook buildings and that's going to be child's play to what's going to take place. There are not enough words to explain what is about to take place. Verse 12, John says there's a great earthquake. He says the sun becomes black like sackcloth. And the moon, he says, it becomes like blood. And then he says the heaven and the earth, they're affected as well. Look, he says in verse 13, the stars of the sky fall upon the earth like unripe figs in a great wind. That's, that's the best he could do is explaining it. In verse 14, he says, the sky was split apart like a scroll. And every mountain and every island were moved out of their places. Can you even imagine? Now, last night I was told by someone that they went to a, a church and they heard a pastor preach and he was talking about the stars that fell to the sky like, like, like unripened figs. Maybe John, maybe what John saw were these, was, was uh, um, oh, I don't know, like missiles coming to earth, uh, shot out of planes and whatever. I don't know what. Just this terrible, terrible war. I don't know. I don't know. I do know that it says that the sky was split apart as far as John could see, like a scroll, and the mountains and the islands were all moved out of their places. That's major. And so what happened? Look at the people. Look at the people on this earth. This is what, what, what David Briggs wrote about so beautifully. The people on this earth, as you might guess, panic. Rather than coming to Christ, what do they do? The leaders, the kings and great men, their commanders, leaders of armies, and also the rich, the strong, the slaves, as well as the free people, they all, in verse 15, hid in the caves. They hid among the rocks of the mountains. And watch what they say in verse 16. They say to the mountains, and they say to the rocks, fall on us. In other words, kill us. Fall on us and hide us from the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Why? Because they realize now in verse 17, that great day of the wrath has come and who amongst them is able to stand? And as I began this message, I say to you now, nobody can stand when it comes to that. Nobody. They see that without Jesus Christ they have nothing and yet they still, still deny Him. Unbelievable to me. Unbelievable to me. I want to close with this. I just, I just want to speak to you as a, as a friend. I, I can't make you come to Christ. I can't. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not even good at that. I'm not, I'm not, that's not one of the things I think I do 
well, as far as preaching is concerned, I'm no Billy Graham by any stretch of the imagination. And as far as having an altar call, it seems like every time I do, not too many people come forward. And I think that's because many of you are believers here. You come to this church because you know you're going to get the Word taught. But I can't make you come to Christ, and I can't make you walk with Christ. I just can't. I wish I could. If, if the Lord said to me right now, and I, I promise you, I'm saying this before God... As far as I understand myself right now, I'm saying what I'm going to say to you is true. If the Lord came to me right now and said, everybody here will walk with me with full strength if you give your life for them. I know Jesus has already done this. I would say yes in a second. I would give my life for you. I would give my life for you if you would walk with him. I think what this, what this society needs today, what this community needs today is a church. A church that wants to stand upon something that is is, is true and real in their lives and, 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 that, and that we become a light and salt to the people we come in contact with and that we become so alive in our faith, so, so um, alive in our faith that, that they will want to come here and see what is it so unique and special about this place. <clears throat> I want that for you and for me. I, I want that for the people that just deny our Savior they break my heart. It breaks my heart to see people just living their lives. I mean, when I shared with my, my best friend's daughter, and she went to go see the mystic anyways, it, 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 I wept. I cried. I mean, I cried because I want to I see her throughout eternity. I want to <clears throat> see her throughout eternity. I want her two girls who are beautiful girls come to Christ and they have no chance right at this time apart from their family maybe someone else maybe it's you maybe it's me that's going to make an impact upon this community hopefully it's us I told you that teaching this place in scripture is not easy because it's really it's really hard stuff it's not stuff where people want to come to church and say ooh who am I going to feel good about everybody today? No, you're going to go away and you're going to say, this is, a, this is a tough place we live in. It's going to get worse. And that's the truth. And you want to hear the truth. I know that much. And so I tell you that. I really pray that our Lord will take us out of this place before. But I pray also that there will be many, many others that will come with us. Father, please, touch our hearts so that we would be serious about our faith. Please, dear Father, allow us to make an impact in this community, in this world in which we live. We, we have a slogan we're going we're gonna to adopt it by saying, let's, let's pray and let's give and let's go. Now, not everyone will be able to go. Everyone will be able to pray. Not all can give to the degree that some might can and some might cannot, but we all have that opportunity to pray and give and go and tell people about our Savior. Father, bless this church. Bless it beyond its wildest dream. And thank you for the people of this church to come here and to preach at this hour with these people. Now, I've never been so blessed in my life, Father, and I thank you for each one of them. I love them so much. Now I pray you'll bless us, Father. As we go from here and whatever it is you have for us, may we be a blessing to you, I pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen.
I love you all so much.